0: hand over those car keys to them, and before they go out and they begin to drive away by themselves for the very first time, he he knows how significant those instructions are. Uh, A young person, when they are about to go off to college and the parents sit down and say, just before you go, let's sit down and have a little bit of talk on what you should be doing and how we trust you, they can feel the significance of that last talk with them. As a family sits around and stands around Uh, a a loved one's maybe a matriarch or patriarch's bed their deathbed and they find themselves listening intently to try to listen to any last words knowing that whatever words they speak that they're going to cling to tight with with tight fist why because the truth is you and I know that we speak millions and millions of words some billions of words throughout their lifetime And, uh, and and with that and with that we know that that many times the most significant proved to seem to prove to be some of the last now this certainly would have been the truth for the disciples as they gathered together high up on a mountain with Jesus which seemed to be or appeared to be their very last time with Christ soon he would be ascending into heaven they would be without him and so the words that he was going to speak were going to be his last and they certainly proved to be incredibly significant, not only to his immediate disciples, but to all disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, what's interesting about these last words is they were actually spoken uh, in light or in response to a last question that the disciples asked. We see this question in verse 6. Notice, if you will, he says, So when they came together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of God? And I respond to that, Really? That's gonna be your last question. If you were to stand before God and know that you had one opportunity to ask one question, and that was gonna be it, and next one, he's gonna be gone, you're not gonna be able to ask him any more questions. Would this be the question or would it be something else? I gotta tell you, I've got all kinds of questions I would really like to ask: some theological, some personal. Some theological would simply be, hey, listen, can you, before you go, can you explain this whole sovereignty of God, free will of man thing? Can you clear that up? Because none of us seem to fully understand it. Or how about that whole Trinity thing? One God, three persons, not... Just clear that up for me before you go. Where, where does this evil thing come from? We know that there's no evil or shadow of it. They're in for you. You couldn't have created it. So where did that evil stuff come from? Or maybe it's not even theological. Maybe it's more just pragmatic. And you, I, I would ask the question, hey, why cats? Why, why? Now, for some of you, for some of you who are cat lovers, you know the answer to that. For us who don't, we're, we're completely oblivious to the answer of that. Why cats? And so there's all kinds of questions that were asked, but they ask about the kingdom of God. Is, is, is it coming right now, they ask. Now, why? what would lead them to such a thing? Well, we know when we look at Jesus' teaching, his earthly ministry, Jesus often, one of his favorite things to talk about was the kingdom of God. When he, we, we saw in verse 3 last week that, that when, he, when he arose from the dead and he, he appeared to his disciples over a period of 40 days, verse 3 tells us that while he was there, he was speaking about the kingdom of God. So because Jesus is teaching so much on the kingdom of God, of course, they're going to have, naturally, they're going to have questions. And so they ask a question, which there's nothing wrong about asking a question, but sometimes our questions are thoroughly wrong. And that seems to be the case for the disciples at this point. In fact, Calvin, John Calvin, wrote of this question. They said there are many, there are as many errors in the questions as words. That's a lot of errors, right? Right? And so they asked this question, it's full of errors, what's it, what's it erroneous about, what, what's wrong with it, is it proves to Jesus and to us that they didn't have a clue about what the kingdom of God was all about. In fact, what it proved was that even though Jesus had been teaching hour upon hour about the kingdom of God, they didn't understand a word that was coming out of Jesus' mouth, so what we want to do this morning is we want to look at the question and look at how Christ answered it, and him and the question and by Christ answering, we see three misunderstandings concerning the kingdom of God, which I think really apply to many of us as well. That many of God's people, we still struggle with the same short-sighted, near-sighted, kind of empty view of what the kingdom of God is all about. And so that's what we want to look at this morning. There's three of them. First is this, their view of the kingdom of God was far too worldly. Their view of the kingdom of God was far too worldly. When we hear that word kingdom, we immediately have thoughts of, of, of politics. We have thoughts of, of, of boundaries, of, of places. We think of a kingdom as being a specific physical location that you could point out on a map. And so every time that Jesus would mention the kingdom of God, they would be thinking in these worldly terms. And, and, and so remember, it wasn't just them. It was all the people during the time that thought. It wasn't just the disciples. Everybody that would consider them you know, followers of God believed the same thing. They were looking forward to a Messiah who would come wielding a sword. He would be a great king, and by wielding the sword and authority, he would overthrow this this kind of yoke, this oppressive yoke of the Romans and restore the kingdom of Israel again. A physical earthly kingdom. Now we see an example of this, I think a good example in Matthew chapter twenty. But Jesus is, in, in this happens many times in the Gospels, Jesus is making his way with his disciples up to Jerusalem. Now, we know what's going to happen in Jerusalem, right? He's going to be, he's going to die and be uh, um, crucified. He's going to be crucified. So Jesus tells him as clearly as he possibly can. He says, we're going up to Jerusalem. I'm going to be arrested by the religious leaders. I'm going to be beaten, and I'm going to be put to death. And how do the people respond? They don't respond, oh, no, this is a terrible thing. They don't respond in that way at all because they don't understand it. There is no theological teaching in their mind that could possibly imagine a savior, their savior, or or, excuse me, their Messiah dying. Why? Because he was to usher in a physical kingdom. You can't have a dead king leading a physical kingdom. So it just didn't match up. So what did they think? They thought it was physical. We see in a response of a mother of James and John. James and John were, of course, uh, uh, two of Jesus' closest disciples. And their mama, and I think they were put, uh, she was put up by her, her sons to ask this question. She says, Jesus, there's something that I would like from you. And Jesus responds, what is it that you would have me to do? And she goes, well, when you bring and come into your kingdom, physical kingdom, allow my sons to sit on your right and sit on your left and it, the Bible doesn't say this, but I have to believe at this point that Jesus is kind of shaking his head a little bit, and he says to them specifically, he says, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup than I am to drink? Jesus was referring to his suffering. He was referring to his death, was he, was he not? And so, but what are they thinking? They think, yeah, we could take the cup. In other words, yeah, we can help you bring in and bring about this kingdom, and so they they usher up, and they, 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 they muster up their inner Bob the Builder, and they're like, we can build it, yes, we can, Jesus, we'll be on your right, we'll be on your left, we'll build it, we'll rule together, we're good with this, and Jesus understood they didn't have a clue, they were thinking physical, earthly, political, worldly kingdom, and Jesus says, it's not what I'm talking about at all. So he goes and he corrects them with his words. Notice how he does it. He responds in verse eight. He says, But, which means in contrast, but you will receive power. Now, when he says, you will receive power, at first, this is still going along with their whole worldly kingdom idea. You need power to be able to overthrow the Roman government. And he says, you will receive power, but then he corrects them immediately. He says, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, he's, he's, he's saying, guys, this is more spiritual and heavenly than it is, 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 is earthly and worldly and physical, it's about the Spirit, you being empowered with that. And so, what he's saying is the kingdom of God is not located on a map found within physical boundaries, but rather is found, is found by the reign of God in the hearts of his people by the power of the Holy Spirit. John Stott writes this, he says it well. He says, The kingdom of God is his rule set up in the lives of his people by the Holy Spirit, it is spread by witnesses, not by soldiers. Through the gospel peace, not by force of arms, political intrigue, or evolutionary violence. You say, where is the kingdom of God? Here is the kingdom of God. There is the kingdom of God. There is the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit dwells and is located in the life of every believer who has been regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I think it's important for us to understand. So Jesus, in essence, is saying, hey, guys, you are thinking about the kingdom of God in a far too worldly way. It's not so much worldly as it is heavenly. Now, it's important for us not to push that too far. We need to understand that the kingdom of God, even though it's more spiritual than it is physical, more heavenly than it is worldly, we need to understand that it still impacts the world in which we live. You and I, as citizens of the kingdom of God, kneel our wills and our knees to submission to God. We say, God, not my way, but your way. Not my will, but your will. May your will be done. And because of that, we act differently. We talk differently. We use our money in a different way. We, we, we go places that we normally wouldn't go. We do things that we normally wouldn't do. All because we are in submission to God. And that brings out a hu- and brings about a huge change in the world in which we live. But it is, in essence, primarily Spiritual. But I think that you and I struggle with the same viewpoint as the disciples. We think far too much about the kingdom of God and what this is all about in physical, worldly terms. We don't think much differently than the world around us, the lost world. And there's no clear evidence of this in the way in which we pray. A good buddy of mine, Mark Tuso. you guys know Mark, he's a friend of our church. He comes on occasion to be able to preach. He says this ever so well. He says, Christ introduced three clear kingdom principles to govern prayer in Matthew chapter 6. He said, According to Jesus, our prayers must begin with and be driven by care towards his name, his kingdom, and his will. He says, our prayers are almost always totally dominated by the exact opposite. We, like the disciples, are consumed with our name, our kingdom, and our will, and fully expect and believe God to be consumed with those things too. That is a true and frighteningly accurate description of our prayers. Listen, if all of our prayers, if God chose to answer all of our prayers that we have prayed in the last week, what would it look like? I think it would look something like this. All of us would have job promotions, better health, more money, better marriage, well-behaved kids, blessed food and traveling mercies, whatever that is. (laughs) But the truth of the matter is, that's what we pray. And what is he saying? He says, guys, you are thinking too worldly about the kingdom of God. It is far more heavenly and spiritual than what you know. He says, so what was the mistake? Their view was far too worldly, second. Their view of the kingdom of God was far too narrow. Just as the disciples of Jesus Christ thought of a specific place when they heard the term the kingdom of God, they also thought of a particular people. What people? Them people. Now, if you're an English major, you know that that's really poor grammar, them people, right? But when in you Uli- No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But, but them, them them people... That, that people, I'm, I'm using that to be able to emphasize that they thought the kingdom of God, the expanse of the kingdom, included everybody exactly like them. Now, it's hard for me. I, I just got to tell you, i try tried to work through this the best that I could. It's hard for me to really understand what the Old Testament believers' view of the other nations were. They understood that God said it would be through them, that they were God's special people, and that through them that, he would, that all the other nations would be blessed. They, they got that. They understood that. But, and they understood there seems to be a hatred for them about all these other nations. In fact, it was believed that the only good of the life of a Gentile or the body of a Gentile would be to fuel the flames of hell. That was a common saying during the time. But at the same time, they knew that there was some value to these other people who weren't Jewish, that there was some value to them because God had made them. And there was some kind of understanding that one day all of them would bend a knee to God. But the way to impact this nation was to build it, and if they would build it, it would come. I'm talking about not only the nation, but I'm talking about the temple. Their idea was this centripetal force. I think I got this right. Centripetal force, where it's kind of a force that goes from the outside to the inside. If I got this backwards, just forgive me, all right? It's from the outside to the inwards, the centripetal force, where if they build it, they would come. Do I have that wrong? I think centrifugal is this way, right? Whatever. You guys think you know. You don't know anything. I don't either. So, anyway, an outward force. How's that? All right. So, they, or inward force. So, they believe that if they build it, they would come. But even then, I'm not so sure their hearts were in it. Because how do you know? Because they, they gave a court to the Gentiles, but the gen, it was kind of like, hey, yeah, come and see our God. See what we're doing, but go ahead and stay away from us just a little bit. Don't get too close to us. Shows what they're believing about these people. What they believed is the kingdom of God was primarily about their small group of people that they know and they love and who were just like them. When Jesus comes, he blows that all up. He completely changes the force centrifugal sin, whatever. And what he does, he pushes out. He says it's not coming inward, it's gonna go outward. Look at, notice how he answers that in verse eight. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. He goes, instead of building and inviting people to come, You're going to be filled, and you're going to go, and you're going to speak. This is completely two radically different things. And it's not going to be just all about you and the people like you. It's going to be universal. It's going to be about all people. Notice that when he says Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth, this actually serves as a table of contents for the rest of the book. In in chapters 1 through 7, we see this very thing happen, the gospel going and being saturated through Jerusalem. In chapters 8 and 9, we see it going beyond them to Judea and then into Samaria. And then after after chapter 9, it goes to Rome, where from there it goes to the uttermost parts of the earth. It lays out exactly what they did. But this is a radically different view. What he's saying is, he says, "Let, let let me break this down for you. He says, hey guys, you need to go in Jerusalem. That's important. The people are just like you. And they would have been, amen, that's right, Jerusalem. These are people that believe like us, look like us, same color as us, everything else. And he says, but it's going to go beyond that. It's going to go to Judea. And they would have been like, well, okay, that's okay. We don't mind stretching out a little bit. It's kind of like people in Amelia Island, right? They're, they're kind of like us, but they're kind of not like us, you know? Uh, you know and they're saying the same thing. So it, this is not anything bad, by the way. It's kind of like, yeah, you know, the, the island people. And, they, and they're kind of like, yeah, the, the mainland people. We're, look, we're all still part of Nassau County. Woo, Nassau proud, they're one of us, but they're, you know, a little bit different, all right? And then you have some folks that are much, much different, and you really don't like them, right? And, and so that's kind of like people from Georgia. So you kind of, <laughs> if you're from Georgia, it's okay, but some of you are, but it, just follow with me. If you're a Gator fan and you're a Georgia fan, you don't get along. You're not far off from each other, but you're far off from each other, right? And so there's this kind of not liking. And then the ultimate, the, the uttermost parts of the earth would be what? What? those places you don't even know about. People that are radically different than you. Different skin color, different way of talking, different languages, different way of living, different foods that they eat, different clothes that they wear. And this is the radical shift that he makes and he tells them that you're gonna go out everywhere. Now let me say this. I'm not sure what your missional evangelistic vision is. I certainly hope that you have one. See, I have to believe that if you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, if you know Christ, if you've been regenerated, then you have some type of plan and some type of vision and some type of desire to see people, one, for for the faith of Jesus Christ and for his glory. Amen? And so let me ask you what that looks like. Does that look like your family? Now, look, it's awesome. If you are being a leader of your home, you've been called to this. If you're trying to win a spouse, if you're trying to win your children, if you're living a witness before them, if you're sharing the clear gospel of Jesus Christ, we want to glorify God and praise Him for that. If it goes beyond that a little bit to your neighbors and to your friends and to your extended family, then that is wonderful. Other people in the community, that is wonderful. Praise God. We rejoice over that. But if it ends there, it is too narrow. Far, far too narrow. You know, it's an interesting thing. We, we don't apologize that we're a missional church. Amen? Amen? We don't apologize that we're a missional church. Amen? Amen? All right. Just want to make sure we're all on the same page. I know I have to wake you up every once in a while. If not, I'll break out that centrifugal, centripetal stuff again, all right? Don't, don't make me do it. And so we understand that this, this concept is when people will come, I've always wanted the kind of church that was functioning in a way that, that I would be excited to be able to come to myself. I'd be like, yeah, they get it. And so, you know, if you've been here for any period of time, we are completely about global missions all around the world, sending people, sending money, doing whatever, doing whatever has to happen so that this very thing ultimately happens. And I would think when people would come and I tell them, hey, yeah, we're a really global missional church, I'm just exciting them to be, I'm expecting them to be as excited as I am, right? rarely, rarely. And I'll sit there and go, yeah, bro, the greatest thing about our church is we're really making disciples of all nations excited about that. And they're like, okay. And the response to that is very interesting to me. I get the craziest responses. Here's one of the responses. The first response is that they become angry. And the anger is, and here's, here's what they think. Why in the world are you spending so much money, energy, and time going there when there's so many lost people right here? immediately I understand they misunderstand what we're saying. We want, and let's be clear, to win people here as equally as we want to win people there. Just because you're sending people there and going there doesn't mean you don't have a huge heart for the people who are ultimately here. In fact, we've only sent two missionaries to Oman. We love them, but we send out 600 missionaries every week from Mercy Hill, Right? So there's a lot of money. There's a lot of manpower. There's a lot. So there's not one or the other. It's not an either or. Don't get that into your mind. But in some people, it's, it's like a spiritual arrogance. Why would you go and you help all those other people when you don't help here? Most of the time, I've found out that it's a big smoke screen. They don't lift a finger to help people here or propagate the gospel here. It's just a way for them to protect themselves, make them feel better about not going there. Let me tell you just the honest truth. It's not about here or there. It's both and it's everywhere. Why? Because Jesus said to go here and there. That's it. Let me say one more thing. The other thing that I've heard many, many times, and this isn't airing dirty laundry, but some people will say, well, you know what? That's Mike's thing. He's the pastor there. Pastors emphasize different things. Some pastors really emphasize local ministry, others global ministry, still others emphasize discipleship, still others emphasize other things. I think they look at it as kind of like the way the church functions that there are different interests in people serving within the church. Some love to work with children. Some are like, I will never work with children. I want to work with adults. Others teach. Others work in music. Others do all of these, all these different types of things. And they think, hey, you know, that's just Mike's pet desire. That's just something on his mind and something on his heart. And here's, here's what couldn't be possible. These are Jesus' last words And he says, and what I want you to know and remember more than anything while I am gone is that I want you to be a witness here and around the world and around the globe. It's not about the heart or the mind of Pastor Mike. It's about the heart and mind of God. Amen? So here's the third thing that they misunderstood. Not only was their view of the kingdom too worldly, not only was it too narrow, But it was also the kingdom of God, their view of the kingdom of God was far too immediate. In other words, they believed that the whole kingdom of God was going to show up instantaneously right there, right then. And it wasn't just the disciples who believed that. It was all of of the people during that day. You see in the words of the disciples when he says, will you at this time, will you at this moment restore the kingdom of God, restore as a whole? And again, it wasn't just them. People all over were thinking the same thing. When Jesus was working his way to Jerusalem, when he came, to, um, uh, uh, when he came up to Jerusalem and the people um, were, were, were coming to be able to worship him, thinking that as he came in his triumphal entry, they thought that he was going to establish the kingdom. That's why they were rejoicing. And Jesus said on his way up to, to Jerusalem, he said, he said to them, he says, it is not, or, sorry, he says, Luke nineteen eleven. I'll get this out. Luke nineteen eleven. He says, as they heard these things, he's proceeded to tell them a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So Jesus has to correct them. He says, guys, the kingdom of God is indeed coming, and it's here now that I've resurrected from the dead. But it's not here in its fulfillment. It's going to be progressive in its growth. So the way he goes about correcting them is, first of all, he gives them a mild rebuke. Notice what he says. He gave them a mild rebuke in verse 7. He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. This is what I think he's saying. Hey, guys, I've given you a lot to think about, a lot to do. There's a lot in this Christian life that you're supposed to be dedicating your brain cells to. Don't waste your brain cells on trying to speculate when the kingdom of God is going to come in, in, in its entirety. He says only God knows that. In fact, earlier he said God's fixed a time. I don't even, as the son of God, don't even know what that is at this particular moment. So don't waste your time thinking on these things. And it's interesting, uh, it, it's interesting to me is, is, is now notice this, as they begin, as all this happens, as Jesus finishes all this stuff, Jesus ascends up into heaven. And when he ascends into heaven, there's two angels, two men standing there in white. We know that they're angels. Look at verse 11. Listen to what he says. He says, in the, he says, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Now, what do you think the response was? Well, we just saw a man levitate right up there, right? We just saw a man go up there. And they're literally just standing, gawking up into the heavens at this point point. And and, and he says, why are you standing up looking? And he says, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Here's what I think the angels are saying. Guys, why are you wasting time pontificating and looking and thinking about the things that are ultimately to come when he just gave you very clear instructions of what you were supposed to be doing between the period of his ascension and the period of his parousia of his second coming? Why are you wasting that time speculating? How many people all the time, how many books have been written about the speculation of exactly when Jesus is coming when we were told, quit speculating, you're not going to figure it out. Quit wasting your time. Moses said this very thing in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. He says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children that we may do all the words of the law, This is interesting to me. In the beginning of this section of Scripture, Jesus, in essence, tells the disciples, you are too earthly-minded to be any heavenly good. And then he, at the very end, says, some of you are too heavenly-minded, thinking about the things that are to come, to be any earthly good. Again, he says to them, which, in essence, he's saying to us, you want a purpose? I'll give you a purpose. You want to know why you're here? You are here to be a witness of Jesus Christ. Amen? All right, so let's deal with that just for a minute in the application, then we can all go home feeling bad about ourselves, all right? Not really. That's not what I want. That's not why I desire. I don't want that to end this way. This is going to be the first message ever on evangelism that we're not going to leave guilty, all right? So here, here it is. Number one, this is what we are called to do, we must embrace the call, the same call of the disciples. We must understand that we are witnesses of Jesus Christ. Our primary purpose here as a church is not to alleviate temporal suffering of those around us. It is not primarily to establish social justice. The Holy Spirit will lead us to do these things as we go about sharing the gospel, but our primary purpose of, uh, for remaining here is to propagate the gospel by wit- being a witness of Jesus Christ. They thought the, the kingdom was going to come all in one big kind of explosion. Instead, Jesus says, no, the kingdom of God has begun, but it will continue to grow as you and I take the gospel throughout the whole known world and people respond to it in faith. That's when the kingdom comes. That's when the kingdom continues to grow. This is our purpose. Now let's deal with one more thing. Let us embrace the purpose of the disciples, but number two, let us do one more thing. Let us reject all of Our excuses. I've been pastor long enough to know that we make excuses about why we are not witnesses of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me just give you a few of them. First of all, it's not my spiritual gift. I love this one. It's just not my spiritual gift. I really just don't share the gospel. Now, there are some that have the spiritual gift. And if they have them, they make you look like such a rookie when you're sharing the gospel with other people. I do not have that gift of an evangelist, all right? So when somebody does have that gift of evangelist and they begin to share, you begin to people go, I mean, they just say, hey, Jesus loves you, he died for you, repent and come, and all of a sudden, all these people are coming. I could, I could preach on that for 50 years and you gotta trickle here, you gotta trickle there, you gotta trickle there, and then you sit there and go, what's wrong with me, right? And so you begin to do that, but understand that this command has nothing to do with giftedness. I wrote it this way, I said, But they are primary. This ultimate purpose is 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 we're ultimately called. Is yes, there are those that have the gift of an evangelist and just make sharing their faith look as natural as breathing. But spiritual gift for some does not diminish the command for all. All of us are commanded to be witnesses of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Let's say another uh, excuse of why we do this. I witness with my life. How's that working for you, by the way? Some people are like, well, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't drink beer and I don't go to R movies, and so that's my witness to let everybody know about the gospel. How does that tell anybody about what the gospel is? I had a young lady come to me just last week and she goes, you know, she goes, I've really kind of misunderstood stuff. I actually had a friend come up to me and she asked me, she goes, you know, I never knew that you were a Christian. She goes, I knew you were living a moral life, but I never knew why. And she goes, and it struck her, just living a moral life will never lead anybody to faith in Jesus Christ. A witness is somebody who speaks a message. Uh, J.D. Greer, I got this from him. I thought this was so good. He says, he says sharing, saying that you're gonna share the gospel or you're gonna be a gospel witness without words is like sharing your phone number with me without numbers. You can't do it. A phone number is numbers. Guess what? The gospel of Jesus Christ is Words. And some people love to be able to quote uh, St. Francis of Assisi. We don't even know if he said this, but people love to quote, preach the gospel when necessary, use words. You know who loves to quote that? People that don't verbally share their faith. You cannot share the gospel Without opening your mouth and actually sharing the words of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Your life does not convey that in the essence that it would need for somebody to come to faith in Christ. Here's another one. I feel uncomfortable. And to that I would say, join the gang. It's never, hardly ever been comfortable for me, except for maybe in the pulpit, to really share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know the moment that I engage somebody with the gospel at a store or a park bench or wherever it is all of a sudden I know it's two people about to feel real uncomfortable real fast both them and me and both of us are just trying to be as polite as we can I'm being trying to be polite so they don't run they're trying to be polite so they don't run right that's in essence what ultimately happens but the question that we have to ask ourselves in this is is the soul of another worth my discomfort it was for Paul, it was for Stephen, it was for the majority of the apostles who gave their life for the propagation of the gospel to do the very thing that Jesus had called them to do. Let me give you one more. I don't have, I don't have what it takes. I think this is important. I don't have what it takes. I don't feel trained enough, I don't feel smart enough how many of you would sit there and say, man, what if they ask me a question I don't know and I end up doing more damage? That's something that we ultimately think about. So two things I want you to remember. Number one, so in our small groups, Chris is leading our small groups through a way of how to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, just to make sure you know a simple way to be able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, let me share something else with you. The Bible, let me share Matthew chapter 11 and verse 11, and we'll close with this. He says there, Jesus says, truly I say to you, among those born of woman, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. He says, nobody ever born of woman was greater than John the Baptist. That's a pretty big statement coming from the creator of the universe. Why was he so great? He was so great because his whole job was to witness to the person of Jesus Christ, to let people know who was coming and who he was. That's what made him so great. But listen to the rest of the verse. The rest of the verse says this. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven. How do you become a person in the kingdom of heaven? You repent of your sins and place your full weight and faith in the completed work of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. That's how you become a part of the kingdom. He says, but the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Let's stop just for a moment. I want you to look around just for a moment. Just look to your left, look to your right. Somebody in here, at least in this congregation, is the least among us. Some of you are like, yeah, that's, that, that's me. I'm the least gifted, I'm the least talented, and maybe God would affirm that. Maybe you are exactly the least of all of us. And so there is somebody, just mathematically, somebody has to be the least talented, the least gifted, the least bold in here. Would you agree? Now let's all point to that person simultaneously. No, don't do that. But what is the Scriptures ultimately telling us? He's ultimately telling us But the least in the kingdom of God, who's come to faith in Christ, is greater than John the Baptist and being a witness for him. Why? Because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. If you have been born again, then you know enough about the gospel to share. And if you have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, you have everything you know to be the bold witness that God has called you to be. We're gonna go through this book and there are gonna be a lot of people that will argue that the, the primary demonstration of the filling of the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues or is healing people. What you will find in this book is that whenever somebody is filled with the Holy Spirit, the immediate response of that filling is the preaching and the witnessing of the good news of Jesus Christ. Which really, really kind of gives me a little bit of intrepidation and worry and concern Which means every time you're filled with the Spirit, the words of God and the gospel are on your mouth. If the gospel is not on the tip of our mouth, the question is, are we being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit? That's what we need. We need to be witnesses. This is why you're here. He says, guys, I don't want you to get wrapped up on all of this worldly stuff while you're here. The kingdom of God is not worldly, it's heavenly. I don't want you to get so caught up of what's to come that I didn't even tell you what's about, all that speculation, big waste of time. I want you to do one thing. From the time that I went up to the time I come down, I just want you to verbally be a witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you, we thank you, we glorify you in all things. God, I pray even this morning as the gospel was preached that some would come to faith in you. God, I pray even this morning that there would be some that would sit there and just say, God, this is what I want to be. I want to be this witness. I want to be bold in telling other people about the gospel. God, they have everything they need Now, does that mean that we don't study? Does that not mean that we don't try to work and become better and more fluent in sharing the gospel and the clarity of the gospel? No, we ought to do all those things, but we have the message because we know it, because we've been born again, and we have the presence of the Holy Spirit. God, this is what I meant in the prayer before. Let this be one of those Sundays that finally everybody in this place got it. Saturn said, that's why we're here here to be a vocal witness for the gospel. A lot of things we can do. One thing we must do. Jesus, I pray that you would move that in our hearts. For any of those who aren't born again, save them today. For all of us who just want that and be that witness, God, grant that to us. Secure us. Fill us with the power of your Holy Spirit. Uh, Let us understand it may be scary. It may be hard. God, we may say we don't have time. We definitely have the time. It's, It's the only thing we have time for. God, would you help us to be that witness that you've called us to be? In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? Would you stand? I'm gonna be down here, and this is just a time of response to what you've heard. You could do that where you are, but maybe maybe you're sitting back and going, man, I just need prayer. I need to know more about this person, Jesus. I'm gonna ask you to come. I wanna pray with you. I wanna help you with that. But there might be some of you who just sit there and go, man, I want to be a better one. You might want to come to the altar and just pray about this and and, and do business with God. Wherever you are, just do business with him before we leave, all right, as we sing. Are, are we clear about our purpose this morning? Amen. We are to be witnesses. Are we to be witnesses here? Amen. In our own home, in our own community. Are we to be witnesses on the island? Yeah. All right. Are we to be witnesses in Georgia? Yes. yes, in Georgia. Are we to be witnesses to the uttermost parts of the earth? Yes. Yes. This is not a Mercy Hill thing. Apart from it being God's thing. This is what God has called us to This is why almost 30% of everything that is given every week, this is why it's important to give, is given for the propagation of the gospel and mission. It's why we're trying to get that number up higher and higher and higher all the time. Because this is why we're here. It's what we're supposed to be using our money for, our talents for, our giftedness for. But here's the idea. You specifically are to be a witness, to speak the good news of Jesus Christ. If you're worried about that, if you need to know more, get plugged into your small groups. Small groups are going to be learning that. Here's what I want you to do. If you have a leader that's stuck in the mud and sits back and goes, no, there's more important things to do, say, ah, wrong. We need, to go, we need to know how to share the faith, all right? So you do that, all right? You take it over by force. No, don't do that. By the power of You just make sure that within them that you're studying how do we share the gospel. This is a whole family thing, amen? It's not me or one other person. It's all of us. So let's pray. We'll be dismissed. And when we leave, do two things. You are going to greet one another. Right, right, right. By the way, you get tons of points for being here this morning. Maybe not in heaven, but here you get tons of points for being here. You want to welcome each other. Welcome our guests. Let them know how much you're happy to be here. Go out of your way. Listen to me, church. Go out of your way. Find somebody that that is kind of walking around like this, and they don't know where they're going. Go up to them and just say, hey, my name is, and just introduce yourself, talk with them. Would you do that, church family? All right, I got three. I'll take it. All right, that's good enough. Twice as much as normal, that's weird, one and a half. All right, so we're gonna go, but then we're gonna be sent out. You're gonna be sent out as witnesses of the gospel of Jesus Christ, amen? So let's pray. Dear Jesus, we love you, we thank you. God, we thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit. God, let us walk in your spirit so that in our mouths it will come out the witness of Jesus Christ. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name, amen? Amen, all right, we'll see y'all later.